Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. If you purchase the complete collection before October 24th, you can get a big discount. Check your inbox for an email from carl at pwop.com for the code, or just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still at Ignite in Orlando, Florida. We like it here. We're actually in Orlando today, whereas yesterday we were in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) These buildings are big. (laughs) And you keep walking, eventually you change the time zone. (laughs) It's really cool. It's great to be here. We're going to be talking to uh, Dan Helm and Rogan Ferguson in just a minute. But first, we have this little matter of better know framework. All right, man, what do you got? I don't know if we've ever talked about Yarn, the package so. manager. No? Uh, you know, on, on the show? I think we might have talked on the show. I don't think you've ever done the Better Know. Never done it as a Better Know framework, yeah. though. It's, it's a very simple package manager. What's cool about it is it caches every package. Mm-hmm. So you never need to download it again. It also parallelizes operations. So that uh, your resource utilization is maximized and stall times are really fast. It's also pretty secure. It uses checksums to verify the integrity of every installed package before the code is executed. And also a deterministic algorithm for installs, concise lock file format. So it's guaranteed that an install that worked on one system work exactly the same way on another system. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. And a lot of people are using it. And um, I just like to give it a little more love. So use Yarn. Cool. Yeah. Nice one, fine. That's it. Uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Gravity comment off of show 1262, the one we did with Matthew Reens. This is back in February of 2016, mm-hmm. talking about the economic psychology and science of Agile, uh-huh. which kicked off a ton of comments. And again, it's a couple of years ago. This particular one is from Nick Mulnew, who said, one of the things that resonated with me in this episode is the idea that Agile lends itself to a proof of concept more quickly than other traditional methods like Waterfall. The transparency allows stakeholders to see what they requested sooner and get an idea of whether the team is on track and whether they're getting what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest problems this software to me is misunderstanding of the, the spec. Well, let's call yeah. it requirements. It happens all the time. We can get better at it, sure, but it'll always be there. I'm, I don't know if I've ever really understood a project until I was about halfway through it, honestly. Remind me to tell you a story about, a, a, about something that happened with us. With that? Yeah. A more waterfall approach could cost a whole lot more if the product is finished, but isn't what the stakeholder was looking for. More agile approach can get to failure more quickly to get to the idea that we did not understand properly. Mm. And economically speaking, in terms of time resources, there's a greater benefit to incrementally hitting milestones on the spec and sharing those milestones or leaving the spec in a more gray area than having a rigid spec that isn't reviewed until completion. Right. This idea is backed up when Matt talked about smart failures, where we're looking for small failures and small successes. When we approach a small failure, we can pivot or literally be agile. It would be a pretty big deal if we spent a year working on something and only find out we went the wrong way. Mm. That never happens. That would never happen. Mm. If we go to a small milestone, we can find out after a couple of days or weeks that we're off the mark and the impact's not nearly so great. Both approaches will get you to release, but what sells it for me is the speed at which we can get to failure. I'd rather fail a $1 bet every day than fail a 300 Sixty-five dollar bet once in a year, but the most important thing is to fail so that a one dollar problem doesn't become a million dollar problem. Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. it is good. It, it would be we prefer not to fail, but recognizing that there's a substantial risk, make it inexpensive. Yes, and get to it sooner so you can actually get going in the right, right. direction. I right. think that's the gist of what you're saying there, Nick. Thank you so much for your comment. A .dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .dotnet rocks mug, write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Java. (laughs) (laughs) There's a surreal joke about... That's a bit of a tough callback right there. (laughs) That was a knock-knock joke, right? Knock-knock. Who's there? Long pause. Java. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get to our guest. 
Dan Hellam is a senior program manager with Microsoft's Visual Studio Team Services. Dan focuses on the agile space as well as the customer adoption of the service. Before coming to Microsoft in 2012, Dan spent his career building apps using Microsoft technologies and assembling agile teams centered on delivering high-quality software to users. Rogan Ferguson is a program manager for Team Foundation Server and Visual Studio Team Services. He works on building the back-end foundation of both products and enabling key scenarios to allow enterprise customers to adopt VSTS more seamlessly. This includes enabling TFS customers to migrate their collection to VSTS, of course. Welcome, Dan and Rogan. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. There's air conditioning in the room. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's a nice. good room. And it's hot out there. Yeah. Well, we're, we're specific Northwesters, you know. Well, mm. you're a Northeaster, but it's just the yeah. same thing, really. It's hot for me, too. Yeah. It's hot everywhere. It's hot for everybody. It's yeah. just Orlando. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just it's Orlando. hot with little dispersions of downpouring torrents that last <laughs> for five minutes. Yeah. And so, so hard that you can't drive yeah. in the yeah. rain. You just have to stop. And the but water is like size of basketball. Yeah, it comes down. Yeah. Big yeah. drops. Yeah. Absolutely big, big amazing. Drops. We've had a bunch of conversations around visual studio team services. Yep. And, and it just seems like there's a lot going on in this space. But I don't know that I equate a source control system to agile. Or am I just not thinking about the product correctly? Yeah, I would say that it's both. Yeah. Right? So, uh, obviously, traditionally, when they start out with Team Foundation Server back in the day, which mm-hmm. is VSTS, which is in the cloud, right? TFS is your on-prem version of it. Right. That's what people thought of, right? It was that source control that was source safe, as we all remember back in the day, that yeah. moved into TFS. And so, we've just expanded it over the years with more and more capabilities with the things like Agile and continuous integration mm-hmm. and testing mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. So, it, it, it covers the whole spectrum of everything you need to do within that ALM space of managing your application and building your application and tracking it and planning for it and everything like that. Life cycle management? I think we used to use that term. Yeah, that old school term, which used to be now, which turned into ALM, right? Mm -hmm. Which now is DevOps. So it's just another another word for the same thing, basically. Right. More or less. But how do the practice models fit into this? Because I wouldn't presume that I have to use Agile to use TFS or VSTS. No, no, you don't have to use Agile. Agile is just a methodology, right? You yep. can, if you wanted to use the old school waterfall, you can use the old school waterfall. There's sure. nothing wrong with that. I think the problem with using waterfall is, is like you kind of, we talked about earlier, is just, you know, it takes longer to fail, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so when you're using Agile in, in that older school way, you're not going to know when you're successful or when you're failing until further out. Right. So Agile is the way that, you know, we use it internally in an Agile methodology. Uh, we release every three, three weeks, uh, every sprint. And we plan for it that way, and, and we've become much more successful. You can see over the years, like in TFS, where we release stuff year after year or every couple of years, and now we're releasing stuff every three weeks. Right. Like, I guess the way to think of it is VSTS really lends <laughs> itself well to an Agile methodology and supports it in, mm-hmm. in yeah. all the ways that matter. Yep, exactly, exactly. It provides you with the tools, and then you know the rest is all culture as well. Right, yep. yeah. There's two sides to it. So what is the Agile tooling? I know we've talked about Kanban boards. Is that just simply part of VSDS? Yeah. So I guess we start in a couple of things, right? You, mm-hmm. you obviously every company who's working on um, software, right? You're going to have to have some sort of backlog of work. Yeah. And so we have the backlog management where you, and again, it depends on your culture and what you're doing, but you can have these big scenarios that you would work on. Like, mm-hmm. hey, these are the big rocks that I need to move. And then, you know, our teams go ahead and say, okay, well, these are the features that we're going to build to fulfill those scenarios. Right. So those features kind of, we figure that out. We go out and we spec it and investigate it and figure it out. And then we let our teams then go ahead and build the software and execute on those in, uh, in sprints. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a team can use Kanban boards if they want. Right. Uh, they don't have to. That's fine. Sure. Teams can use go the scrum model if they want and break mm-hmm. everything down in tasks. They can do that. It really doesn't matter. So you can there's a number of different ways on how you could use it. And it really, you know, we built it in a way so it's really up to you, right? If you can execute the way you want to execute. This is literally just a series of features you can turn yeah. on and off. Yeah. Depending yeah, on how exactly. you like to work. Exactly. And then one final note to that too is too is we have this thing called delivery planning. So depending on how big your teams are and how many teams you have, you can take all that agile stuff or things that you're delivering and you can actually plot that out and say, here's my release and here's what it looks like and here's the things that are falling and what sprints and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it provides the tooling to do all of that. And again, it's kind of like that typical Microsoft answer. It just depends on what you're doing sure, and how sure. you want to use it. So you're talking about projecting a release. It's like, okay, six months from now, we're going to release. This is the set of features we're expecting from these different teams to all contribute to. And you're yeah, yeah. So burn down to that the set of deliverables. Yeah. So let me let me 
back up a little bit and kind of talk about how we do it internally. Sure. And so the way we do it internally is we talk with uh, like the Brian Harrys and all that stuff. Is there anything past Brian Harry? Isn't that this is sort <laughs> of the end of the road? Goes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it just stops right there. Well, it's <laughs> Brian Harry, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll basically, leadership comes to us and says, the different teams and say, look, we need you to deliver these things. Like it kind of sets the vision. Right? Sure. These are the scenarios that we want to solve, the big rocks we need you guys to move. Right. And those become charters for our individual team. So charters. With, yeah. With, so within yeah. VSTS, we have about 600 people. Mm-hmm. We've cross sped across about 40 different feature teams. And that's across the whole breadth. That's your agile and your build and release and testing, the whole nine yards. Interesting. And so leadership will set the tone. Like these are the problems we need you to solve. And those become charters or like given to a team to go figure out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And those individual mm-hmm. teams are like, okay. Great. We'll go figure it out. We'll do the investigation. We'll try to spec some of this out. We'll kind of figure out what those features are that will fulfill that particular scenario. Yeah. That's interesting to me because I think you think when leadership comes to you and saying, this is the things we want to build, they've already sort of done that PMing stuff, but it's more broad than that. It's yeah, just it's sort of the yeah. vision piece. Yeah. Mm. Think, think of it as like, we need you to get across a river, right? right. Teams going to you know go build a bridge. Are they going to jump in a boat and go across? It's really right. up to kind of the teams to kind of figure it out. Just get us across the river. Right? Yeah. The details are up to the teams while the vision is um, carried out kind of with leadership. And obviously, that has input by all the people who are working on it because they're doing the day-to-day. But sure. there's obviously this set of problems that we need to go figure out. I like the term. metaphor of rocks you need to move. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. We, use that, we use that word yeah. all too much. But yeah. Well, no, rocks, yeah. metaphor. But it's also an angle of sort of inward marketing of your customers are pressing on you here, here, and here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it comes from all over, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. We have customers. We got marketing wants certain things. Um, we have internal customers because we adopt the service internally into Microsoft. Sure, yeah. So you can imagine Windows has their own set of challenges that they need to deal with. And yeah. so they push some of that stuff onto us. Fairly that we unique to challenges, as we understand. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. World's largest Git repo. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a big Git repo. Right. That's a big one. And so that's a yeah. big problem to go solve. And so mm-hmm. then the teams go figure out how to solve that problem. Mm. And so the teams will kind of go figure it out. And then they we kind of sync back with leadership and say, yep, these are the features that we want to build. Great. Yeah. And then the team is responsible for executing on it. Right. right. And so if the team wants to do Kanban, do Kanban. Right. If team wants to run Scrum, they can run Scrum. Leadership doesn't care. No. Right. They just as long as the features are aligned on that and get done, we, that's all that matters. And the way we plan that out is we have this kind of eighteen month roadmap of scenarios we want to try to solve, which is great. And then we break that down into six months of like features, and then we plan three sprints at a time, and then we execute at the sprint level. That's fast. So yeah. when we get back to your like, kind of your question about how do we actually plan six, you know, six months out? We don't actually plan six months out. We say, here's what we think we want to do in the next six months. Right. But we plan three sprints at a time. Right. Six months is a really good time, yeah. I think, to to decide, you know, to spend on something that you're you're going to consider a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And it gets it gets hard because that kind of goes against agile in a little way, right? Sure. Like we want to we want to wait till the last minute before we decide what's the next things that we want to do. But the sure. reality is when you're in a big service with lots of users, yeah. you can't just tell everybody, well, we'll let, let you know next sprint, yeah, maybe. Something. And so we have to kind of put stuff together to plan that stuff out so we're all on the same page. How long do your sprints tend to be? They're three weeks. Three weeks? So, yeah. And we, okay. we did a lot of experimentation at the start with it, you know, trying to find that right sweet spot where if you go too long, you end up with a whole bunch of changes that are going out at the same time. Right. And you sure. can't really react to people if your sprint's like a month or two mm. months long. Right. Uh, if you make them too short, I remember we experimented with two-week sprints. You, you have no time. You like got to get your development done in the first week and then it's all stabilization yeah. the next week. So you just don't have time. three is kind of the sweet spot. A lot of teams will spend two weeks doing development and then the last week will normally be testing, making sure everything's looking good. Yeah. And if it isn't going to make it, then, you know, we'll make sure it goes to the next sprint. You obviously, I mean, who hasn't had this experience, but, you know, something that you thought would take three months is going to take six. So now you have to <laughs> decompose that into even smaller. Absolutely. Or to, yeah. To, to, to different numbers of sprints. I, if I had a dollar for every time one of that, happen when we're doing large framework changes on the, yeah. on the base of the product, I, I could retire right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another point to Rogan's point for like a four-week sprint gets kind of interesting because it lands in the month and then people get confused on when it starts and stops. Right. And it's like the, month to month and right. each month is a little bit month. different. Yeah. yeah. It lands on different days. So that's yeah. why we did the three weeks. So it starts yeah. on a Monday, ends on a Friday, right? Right. And, and yep. you can't right. get confused with the month-long yeah, sprints. Yeah. Consistent. How often do you, does a given team mess with their tooling or, or you know, communication approaches? Like I, I would think once the team is functioning with a Kanban approach, for example, they're just not going to shift from that. Uh, not too often. So recently, I'd say the time we generally see large shifts is either when a new team is formed. So I right. actually went through that recently. My team got very big. We split into two. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. kind of parallels itself to a nice opportunity to kind of ask those questions back to the developers is what we're doing actually working. Otherwise, yeah. I would say normally it's very small incremental changes because, you know, there's there's processes that developers get used to. And if you go interrupt that flow with a major change, 
you know, that's obviously going to have an impact on what they can deliver within a single sprint. Sure. Uh, there's also, we do these interesting things. I'm sure you probably saw it on Brian's blog, yellow sticky note exercises, mm -hmm. where we basically let engineers pick their own teams. Hmm. They get to go up, they get three sticky notes, first choice, second choice, third choice. And, you know, most of the time, 80% of them stay on the same team, but about 20% kind of shuffles around, which is always good for, you know, cross-pollinating and cross-teams. Absolutely. But that also lends itself to a great time to do it. Otherwise, you know, generally on my team, and I see with this with a lot of teams, at least in North Carolina office, it's small incremental changes. Once some team kind of gets set on a way, you know, that's the way to do it. I use Kanban boards. I know sure. my, my neighboring team doesn't. Yeah, mm -hmm. They, for some reason, don't want to use them. And just out of curiosity, Rogan, when that team split in half, did one team stick with the existing practices and with an existing code base and the new team that peeled off did something different? Yeah. Like, I I, so I'd say initially they went off. So I we weren't using Kanban before. Mm-hmm. I immediately took the team, the one I went off with, and we switched right to Kanban. We got very serious about making sure our Kanban board was good and that we had a good backlog. I'd say we weren't very good with backlog hygiene before, and the other team kind of stuck with those traditional views. And right. I would say it was interesting about the whole learning culture thing, and you know, I tried to talk with other teams too and figure out what they're doing is over time, they, they actually came to realize that we were getting a lot of benefits. Right. I wonder about that too, is when you have different teams using different practices, but in relative proximity to each other. And I presume this is all in Redmond? Uh, so I'm actually based in North Carolina. Or North Carolina, yeah. right. So, so. We, have, we have a few teams there. We have like yeah. our, our core framework teams, our build and version controls done out mm -hmm. of there. And then the rest of it, uh, a good portion of it, like Agile that Dan works on is done out of Redmond, Washington. Mm -hmm. And then we have a couple teams in Hyderabad, India as well. Uh, I, I personally try to go sit in other team rooms when I'm out in Redmond and I just like to watch what they're doing. Right. But the, the biggest problem we had before was definitely with just the backlog view. You, you get a great idea of where things are on a priority sense, top mm -hmm. to bottom. But really adopting that Kanban board helped me answer the question of where things actually are. Is it committed? Has it been specced out yet? Are we actually doing it? Where is it in the, yeah, in the process? Saying in progress is a very vague thing. Yes. Yeah. It, it's better to see that it's in different stages and you yeah. see, and again, what I've always liked about Kanban is where are we bottlenecking? Like where, yeah. can, where can I jump in and help move the thing forward? This isn't something that you guys might internally press up against because your customers are not, you know, corporations that are hiring you to do software or whatever. But for a lot of us out there, having a customer facing either sort of status report, Kanban board, you know, where are we, is really important. And so are there any tools in VSTS to, to help with that scenario? Is, it, is there a difference between the Kanban board your team is looking at and the one your customer is looking at to sort of get an idea of yeah, I think are. it can be either or, mm -hmm. right? I think being transparent with your customers is important. Yeah. So having them see your Kanban is fine. I think, so the way we work internally is we'll have a feature board, which is the things that we're delivering, and then we'll have a storyboard, which is where the team is executing on, right? right. And so having that feature board is probably something that would be more mm. um, customer-focused, right? Yeah. So Because the customer's not going to care of the task right. that it takes no, to no. get those done. They care that right. the features get done. The feature right? that yeah. they want is right. where is it in the in right. the stack. And so we produced a, what we call a delivery plan, which I alluded to a, a few minutes ago about it's something we pushed out out of public preview in, in at Build. And it basically allows you to take and say, look, show me this team on this type of work item type, which is like a features, mm -hmm. and where does it fall in on what sprint and where yeah. are they being delivered and over a period of time, right? So it's this plan of, I can go back, forward, or backwards, right, mm -hmm. and see what things were delivered and what's mm -hmm. being delivered for each team. And so if you had a customer where you have four or five teams working on that customer, you can put right. a delivery plan together to see all the features that each team is delivering, and you can say, hey, customer, check this out. This is what we did. Here's what's coming up. Here's what right. we're planning for, right? And it has that nice, simple view. The worst thing is when a customer doesn't hear from you, you know, and you've been working on something, and it's a hard problem, and, they, you know, now they're, like, losing confidence in right. your team, and all the things can spiral out of that. So I love the idea of just being able to, you know, hey, customer, go in, look, see what we're working on. You can see that we, we, you know, got this done last week and we're moving on this next week. And yeah. yeah. And, but importantly, n while not interrupting the developer. Exactly. Right. Is that whole, uh, look, you can't keep yanking the flower out of the ground to see how the roots are growing. Like, <laughs> this is not a good thing. Right? Yeah. 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 And I think we, from an execution point of view, like if somebody came in and, and, you know, even if it's a top leadership saying, I need this done right away, we usually don't interrupt the sprint. Right. Sure. Let yeah. the sprint finish out. Yeah, you have and to. And then let's make it a priority for next sprint. So as we plan out the next one, mm -hmm. uh, and that helps reduce a lot of that interruption. Because you can imagine how nuts it would be. And a lot of groups run into this, right? Sure. Like, 
Who you knows? need to do this. You need to do this. And then like, I can't get anything done because you're constantly bugging me on the stuff that I should or shouldn't yeah, be doing. The cost of an interrupt. Yeah. yeah right. There's, right. there's so agile we, to a point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We let the teams execute at the sprint, let them finish their work. And if we need to reprioritize it, fine. We'll prioritize it in the next one. I mean, you guys are in the engineering teams. You, you build VSTS. We've got a little recursion going yeah, on here about neat. talking about managing projects with a tool that you build to manage projects. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the matrix. <laughs> it is. <laughs> a little bit. I kind of see it as inception, right? Yeah. 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 Well, the only thing I learned from inception is you shouldn't run virtual machines inside of virtual machines because they go really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the wise lesson if you take one thing away today. <laughs> Overheard on .NET Rocks. Uh, well, actually, you know, the funny thing is they're now showing off some pretty clever features around running VMs with the VMs where they're not that mm. slow. We could mm. change that movie completely. Mm. And I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying we're able to do it. Right. Or you can see the remake coming in the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> We ran down a gamut of, of sort of core features around project management in general, but did we say anything about bug tracking? Yeah, I mean, so kind of depends on how the team's working, right? So the way we operate internally is bugs are just work, right? Sure. It's the same just thing a, as a story. They're just yeah. other issues. It's just work, yeah. And so, and maybe Rogan can allude to this a little bit because he's a little mm -hmm. closer to the engineers than I am about, we typically, each team has a bug cap. Mm -hmm. And so in order to stay healthy, we have a particular bug cap. And if we reach that bug cap, which is, you know, it kind of depends on the teams. Usually it's four to five bugs per developer. Priority level matter or do you even get into that? We don't really get into the priority. We, we do have priorities on on bugs. Uh, so I would say five is a cap regardless of the number of like yeah, priority you have. P2s. You know, there's the P0s, which are you need to stop what you're doing yeah. and you need to fix them. But mm -hmm. we get a lot of P1s and P2s and... Really, it's just about trying to make sure you don't get unhealthy because you can kind of get wrapped up in the world where you're trying to deliver more and more features in an agile space. And right. you got to remember that, hey, you got to go clean up some stuff back mm -hmm. here and keep your bug right. count low. We actually get scorecards is what we call them uh, every, I think it's every sprint or so. And it will show us kind of like our health level on that. If it gets too high on the bug count, then we might need to reprioritize. And some teams, you know, once in a while, every couple months might end up needing to take a sprint where half the developers just whack away at all those bugs. Because, you know, new features are great. Having buggy old features aren't so great. They're not great right. either. And you don't want to build on a, on a, a problematic foundation. Too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where are these bugs coming from? Is this part of the testing suite? Is it a QA team? Is it external? So living down on the bottom of the framework, a lot of this comes from like automated testing. Right. We'll get like, you know, bugs will just get automatically filed for us. Uh, we have some other folks that do some quality assurance testing as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have each and almost every team has this where they might have like a standard set of things that need to be run. We'll have some folks that will come help us out and they'll actually go and take deployments from master branch that get deployed out automatically from release management and they'll go poke around with that. Sometimes it's just teams internally. I know working on the import service itself, we do a lot of self-testing, queuing imports ourselves mm -hmm. locally on our box and we'll just find bugs and we'll go file them. How much energy is there around the idea that the sooner you get to a bug that shows up in testing, the easier it is going to be for you to fix. Like I think I would want as a developer, while I still have the code in my head mm -hmm. to get back when that code comes back from testing, I don't know how long that takes to be able to get right onto it rather than to get on something else right. where yeah. I have to go back and remember. Yeah. Well, kind of going back to that autonomy and I do this on my team. And I know a lot of other teams do it. I, mm -hmm. I give the developers have a very loose leash. Like if they, if they start hitting that bug cap or they have a ton of bugs, like right. we had one last week that had 10 bugs on themselves. Like and then it's kind of like, a little over. Mm. we need to have a healthy conversation. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the most part, I'm kind of like, look, you're going to get bugs. Yeah. You have other feature work. We, you know, I'm going to leave it up to you to kind of figure out how you go and tackle sure. this. Right. And I'm sure there's some personalities that a bug shows up. That's all they care Absolutely. about. Absolutely. I've got go one away. on my team where it's like, you know, I'm a zero emailer and Outlook, which right. is very hard to achieve. And, then, and, then, and, and Microsoft, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, aggressive filters. I'm just talking about the two me, the <laughs> okay. two me box, not the other ones. <laughs> but, you know, I got I got a, folk, a member on my team that he is like, I got a bug, stop, put it aside, I'm going to go fix it. Mm -hmm. I've got one that lets it piles up until he hits five, and then he'll mm. go, you know what, the next two days, I'm going to go Knock crank away at that. that. Generally, we'll, we'll go and review the age of bugs as well, at least it's a practice I've done on my team, because mm. they're once in a while you get those developers alluding back to your point on you know, it's not in your mind anymore. They just, you know, it's a P, P2, could be fixed, won't kill anyone. Right. They let it sit for three months. And then when they go to actually tackle it, they almost have to like re-onboard yeah, themselves yeah. to what they did. That's right. Could have given it to anybody at yeah. that point. I mean, at that point, yeah, you're right. Get, I could have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Could take days to get back into it. Sure. Yeah. One of the things that we do too is we set up a rotation inside of our groups or each team. So let's say, for example, we have 10 engineers. We'll mm -hmm. take two of those engineers. We call them DRIs which are designated responsible individual, and they focus just on these things that come in that are we call DTSs or LSIs, 
and you can consider it just like the bugs and issues that come in that are blocking people. Right. They do that. Mm. And every sprint, we rotate them. And so you will have two engineers that basically just deal with that junk. But every not sprint. always the same two engineers. No, and then so. we rotate next sprint, yeah. right? So then you will, I can work on feature work for a good couple months, and then mm. I have to work on the junk for a couple weeks. Mm. Yep. And we continue to rotate. And that allows the engineers to feel the pain of the things that they're building, right? Sure. So they can build it in a better way. But then it also does not interrupt the engineers as they're working on feature work, and right? Again, and so do, it's a good, it's a really nice process that way. So, uh, you know, if I'm working on import and we found a problem that we need somebody to help us with, we'll grab a DRI and he'll help us with it, right? right. It's, and a then, natural yeah. pro- it's a natural progression too because this is in real life. I mean, you 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 use your kitchen for a while and then you clean it, yeah. you know? You, you wash yeah. the dishes. You You have to spend certain amount of time just dealing with your tools. But I also like the idea of rotating the chores. It is not always used. It takes out the garbage. Sometimes right. you're yeah. mowing the lawn. Yeah. Like just, right. and it's, it's sort of good for everybody just to be reminded yeah. of all those different pieces. And you yeah. can imagine how how much that would stink if you were the guy doing the DRI all the time. You wouldn't want to work there anymore. No, no, right? no, I met that guy. He's yeah. grumpy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a like, grumpy yeah. dude. He doesn't want to be there. It also long. ensures that almost anyone on your team can respond to problems yep. instead of having that one magic guy who's on vacation in exactly. Disney and yeah. I don't want to interrupt him. Yep. Yeah, there's that, that practice. So, yeah, no, I think it does look, that's what a healthy team looks like. And a little bit of motion. You don't want to move around so much they never get good at anything either, but enough to, I think it takes several sprints to really deliver a feature. So yeah. the fact that you would only go in DRI after everybody else had rotated through means you probably get three, six sprints before you're over on DRI. I was going to tell you that story, remember, when you're reading the comment yeah. uh, about uh, something that happened in AppV Next with, with a customer. The, this customer was new to, didn't know anything about software development. They just had a, a something they wanted us to write. So they really didn't, you know, they weren't in the software business, right? So one of the items in the spec was a contact page, hmm. right? A contact page, which you have in an app or in a, you know, contact us, right? You fill in your stuff, you send an email, whatever, you're done. So that was never clearly defined. And when it came time to write the app, they said, oh, no, we want a live chat with all of these other people and, you know, all this big infrastructure about, you know, who who you have access to and all this stuff. Right. You know, it, it turned into like, no, that's not what a contact page is. Right. And they argued that point because they really had no idea. They, so it's the whole getting a glossary. Yeah. What do you mean when you say? Right, right. It's sometimes really true that you have to have those, what you consider remedial conversations with your customers, especially if they but Yeah, that would never fly. On our <laughs> side. Yeah. Well, we, we spend a yeah. lot of the PMs, I know Rogan and I, um, we spend a lot of time specking things out just to make sure that there's no ambiguity. Amb- Ambiguity between the ambiguity. What, ambi- that's the word. Of that's the word of the day. Yeah, <laughs> between what is said and what is expected. Type yeah. Of thing. yeah. So yeah, we we spend a lot of time specking it out, making sure that it makes sense. And but you often are it. chasing down things that turn out to be common sense. Like right. Right. if you're not someone who thinks that a contact page is a giant engine of communication, yeah, you're like, why are you asking me about the contact page? Right. Like, well, let me tell you. Sometimes yeah, exactly. you just you just want to know for sure that people are doing what they expected yeah. to do. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's about 2.06. Nice. (laughs) Uh, It's time to tell a virtual joke within a virtual joke and observe that the laughs come much more slowly than if I was telling a joke on the bare metal. Yeah, see, should have used containers. Yeah, and and this is exactly what I'm talking about. The laughs are coming very, <laughs> very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> there already. they come now. Yeah. There, 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 there they are. are. There, there, there they are. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. And learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Doug Riley. Congratulations, Doug. Yeah. I'll flap for you, sir. 
And Doug just won a big pile of awesome from Dev Express, the DE Experience subscription, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one randomly selected lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also ask our guests, Dan, if we'll start with you. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I have no idea. No? I'm, I'm over 40. I don't buy any technology. <laughs> no, <Okay>. no. <laughs> technology free. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to buy total, like, I'd probably do a new television personally type thing. Okay. Yeah. It's tough to spend five grand on TV. It gets yeah. mighty big at that point. Yeah, they mm. do. An 80 incher, yeah. you know, something. Projection you know? system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Something large enough that it falls on you, you're seriously injured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you spend that on a sound system, right? A yeah. personal home theater sound system could. Oh, yeah. You could really yeah. get a nice one for well, People seven. will always take your money. There's no two ways yeah. about it. If you have an urge to spend $5,000 on speakers, there's somebody out there. Who'll Let make me you help speaker. you with that. Yeah. <laughs> you can go talk to the right cable company. They'll sell you an Ethernet cable cost you 5000 That's right. They might would. even be directional, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you, Rogan? Oh, boy. Here comes the millennial part of me in contrast to Dan. Oh, boy. Um, I would probably swap out all four of my monitors at home on my yes, gaming PC, yeah, get them go. up to 4K. Yep. I don't know how much budget I have left, but if I did, I've been itching to replace all the fans in my case with ones that match my keyboard that blinks lights so I can go write that, some code. So and, it'll, and are nice. ultra silent? Oh, yes. So oh, yes. You can't spend more than $20, $30 even on the fancy well, see, LED Well, the fans. key for me is the blinky lights because that, that completes the gaming lights. PC setup and then the fact that I can go write some code to kind of get it to all like coordinate together based yes. on what I'm doing. A little right. heartbeat going. You're going to be like that dude at Christmas that has all the lights out playing with the music. Yeah. Yeah. Just in, my, just in my office, though, <laughs> with <laughs> my PC. But are you going to have green goo and copper to make it cyberpunk, you yeah. know, steampunk? Ooh. There you go. See, now you're just giving me ideas. I'm going to yeah. have to mod my case now. Five, yeah, 5000 bucks <laughs> for a modded case? You could be really serious. Oh, that, yeah. That's a oh, whole lot of I crazy. could go get some laser, laser edge uh, ones. And in nice. terms of monitors, I am still completely in love with my 43-inch 4K Dell is about fifteen hundred bucks. Wow! And it's a hundred DPI 4K screen, so you are not scaling anything. Oh, that's nice. That and you know, if you want to just blow all your money on them, you can get three of those things and wrap yourself in giant monitor. Oh boy! Right. <laughs> Hopefully, my mother doesn't listen to this call. <laughs> I'm gonna go do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I that was originally a triple display machine. I had a thirty inch twenty five sixty by six hundred with a pair of sixteen twelves hung in portrait on either side of it. So 4960 by 1600, which is a lot. But one 3840 by 2160 display makes you very it should become happy. a regular section of the show because you talk about it on every show. Pretty much. You know. <laughs> like, well, because we talk about yeah. the tools we use every day. Our monitors, our keyboards, our mice. You know. And you know, monitors, getting back to something you said years ago, monitors are like the last thing that people buy for oh, themselves yeah. Yeah. that are because they considered luxury items, you know. And they really and they're the things like, that are most important, right? Sure. I'm staring yeah, at a yeah. thing all day long. The yeah. spousal acceptance factor of a new sexy monitor is just I mean, lower. Keyboards for me, I, I caved and I have the same keyboard at work and it blinks lights. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had one person in the office almost pass out when it was whirling with colors. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Won't yeah. say who. But yeah. <laughs> no, serious. I was fine with that 3840 rig for a long time until I had to replace a monitor on a different machine and mm -hmm. I got a nice new IPS like 2560 monitor and it was once you've seen that screen mm. and then you go back and look at the old screen mm. never want to go back you are yeah. unsatisfied <laughs> 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 oh my goodness all right uh always try to talk about toys that's a hobby of mine really so we got to dive back into this. What are the other elements? We, we talked a bit about, about the bug tracking side and just sort of, you know, where ideas come from and, and minimizing the number of bugs. How automated is the workflow to actually build? I mean, this is a big cloud-based product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and you guys update. There's an, there are revs every month at least. Or is it every, every, every three weeks. Yeah. Every three weeks we have a daily Homefix train. I mean, uh, and when you think about it, it's, it's built on a bunch of microservices too. Mm -hmm. So it's not just one. It's like several others. You know, every time someone checks in a master, we're running a build. Everything, all of our microservices are in one repo. We're running a build, and that build, literally, you go look at the releases it kicks off, it really, it kicks off, like, 
maybe 40, 50 different release definitions wow. issuing out. Because, you know, all these different microservices, just taking the import one for itself, mm-hmm. someone makes a change. Uh, you know, I, I, ironically, the core microservice that started this all is called TFS. Right. That runs I the love STS. It. That's a little inside joke there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if someone makes a change to TFS and, you know, my team owns this import service, we need to make sure that change isn't busted. So mm. one of the releases that get kicked off is to go deploy out data import microservice, all the other company microservices we mm-hmm. need to operate and make sure that that change in TFS actually doesn't break anything. Yeah. And we're doing this continuously all throughout the sprint to make sure that we're catching things quickly as possible mm-hmm. as people are checking in. That's really cool. How long does a build take? Uh, oh, good question. It's it's enough, uh, if, you know, the Canadian joke to go to Tim Hortons and get a, a double-double and some <laughs> Timbits. Uh, <laughs> normally, what's a, t- a Timbit? Oh, the boy. best thing in the world. We, we, we could spend a whole session on this. <laughs> Just <laughs> the Dynet Rocks Timbit session. The Timbit session? There we go. As long, you as, you, as long as you bring me chocolate glazed Timbits, we'll yeah. be good. Um, but donut. I think, uh, I think uh, around now, it, it normally takes about uh, 20 minutes, I yeah, think. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's a coffee run. run. Yeah, it's right. it's it's pretty it's pretty contained. I mean, but still, you know, you know, you can normally get results back on those tests within a, a couple hours. You mm, know, right. you know, mm. almost right away. In quotes, if right if someone way. has broken something, which is good because it's much better to find it then. Than yeah, <laughs> no, sure. But I'm a, I'm a big believer, and we talked about this before. When, when at Strange Loop, we kept, tried to keep our test loop down to 20 minutes because that's enough time for you to go get coffee, and then right. by the time you get back, you don't start on something else because there's your report sitting in front of right. you, yeah. and it's still right in your head. But and that's something we struggled with as well, actually. I mean, looking back three and a half years ago when I started on the team, some of our tests were just atrociously long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been a big push internally, at least, to kind of get that down, and we spend a lot of time kind of, you know, thinking about, my team actually spent probably a couple sprints when we first split across and we're thinking like, how can we test this in the same way? Can we mock some things to make this faster? Right. It's like, how can we get that same test coverage without spending hours, you know, hours yeah. waiting for results? Cause then that, that means, you know, someone gets off on something else, you get this report mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, but I'm deep into this and you don't want to be adding more bugs. Well, you're yeah, <laughs> it's a big stack pop at that point. It's yeah. like, Oh, cause you, do, you want to do the right thing, but you, you know, it's, it's no different than interrupting a sprint. Yeah. You're right to that same problem of, you know, you're, now you're down on another thread and mm. you've, you've got to go back and clean that thing up. Con- context switches are very expensive. Yeah, they are all Once expensive. I get on a certain context, I don't want to get off yeah. for a while. Silicon or neuron, context expenses, switches are expensive. There's no two ways about it. it but it, yeah, very interesting uh, process to, to how do you keep all of that stuff fast. I would suggest the cloud. Like, cloud's a good thing for that. Cloud is wonderful. <laughs> well, we were doing mostly doing web-based tests, so we were able to granularize and run many instances, and so that you know n- there was no individual long-running test. But I've got to think with something like VSTS, you have a specific test that simply takes a while. We do, we do. We have this thing called a, a go big run that happens, and it like deploys everything up, and it has armies of tests that kind of mm-hmm, go against mm-hmm. it. We see that run a lot of times towards the end of sprints as well. Yeah. You know, we have, we have a whole myriad of things we have set up to try and make sure that by the time bits are getting deployed out publicly at the end of that three-week three, three week thing, that the chance of there being, like, major bugs are, are very low and that we're really releasing a high-quality, yeah. you know, is, set of bits and features out. Is there an insider's group for VSTS, like, outside of Microsoft, but not the general public that uses your product that sort of gets those bits first and they can give you mm. feedback or is that necessary? Yeah. So we, we deploy internally first. Right. So you VSTS deploys the VSTS. Sure. And so, and we're we have 600 users, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we tear the heck out of it for the first few days. So you guys are the ones that get kicked first. Yeah, we get kicked first. <laughs> and then, um, then we deploy to MVPs, right? Which is the next ring. Yes. And then we continue to deploy out uh, rings after that. So the MVPs right. will hit it for a few days and make sure, you know, These those are, are like your, your VSTS Kind of like our, our yeah. people that like us and yeah. are going to be mad when something breaks, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. And already um, know what Brian's email address yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cell phone uh, They're number. very friendly. Let's yeah. put it that way, right? Yeah. So and, thing, and they'll let us know if something's broken and that Well, and they're on that ring for a reason. They want to know what the new feature is. They yeah. want to be a part of that process. Like, I, I, th- I often have find myself explaining what that model looks like. Why do people do this? Because right. right. you're special. Mm-hmm. It feels good to see stuff first. Yeah. And yeah. to be and to know you contributed to fixing it too. And it doesn't work right, right? It's like, hey, I'm I know I'm a little weird. This is how I'm using source control and you, you know, new XYZ feature does this horrible thing to me. But that's right. a great way to utilize the MVPs. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean it typically it's an award for doing outreach in the community, right? But yep. mm-hmm. and now they're actually part of the process of you know, they're the family. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and it actually, and funny enough, so we'll do our multiple rings, and it takes like three weeks to deploy this stuff, and our very last ring is the Windows division inside of Microsoft. Uh, and we just want to make sure that they're the very end to yeah. make sure that we've gone through all the steps that we need to make sure that we don't break them because, you know, they're, they got, I can't remember how many thousands it is for people that are working in that division right. using our stuff, and, and when it, if it breaks for them, People are very unhappy, so we want to make sure that they're the last people. people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot they of people. They can look you up on Skype, too. Yeah. 5,000? So. 5, what, was, what was the figure that we uh, we just talked to them? It's like 15,000, 20,000 people in there. It's oh, wow. a lot of people. Jeez. Yeah. It's a lot of software. There's yeah. No two ways about it. But yep. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's interesting to see you go through that process, and then that, that gets released. So I'm trying to add up the weeks and figuring, okay, so when you finally check it in and are happy with it, and it's, if everything goes well, it's going to be... It takes three weeks almost, yeah, because yeah. we're yeah. almost done with a sprint now. Yeah, we're working on the next sprint while we're deploying the previous sprints yeah. you know, material out there. Yeah, and Ed Thompson was talking about GVFS, which sounds really amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the virtual, virtual files, sort of like, a, what did I say? It was like a OneDrive for... One for forget. forget. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you can imagine the repo on someone's machine in Windows. Oh, yeah. 300 gigs. Oh, yeah. just, it would take, you know, yeah. days. If, and, if they yeah. have to clone everything, like when they switch to Git, imagine everyone cloning at the same time on Monday when they get into the office. Right. If we didn't now, have I'm not that. worried about the hard drive space. I'm worried about a nick exploding. Yeah, right. It's just <laughs> saturating a wire. And unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you don't want it. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. It's, I mean, it's true of a lot of big projects. Rarely do you, if you're not actually building it, you don't want the whole repository. Right. You want what you need. You want what you're working in, right? And maybe something adjacent to it, but that's about it. It's just so apparent at the scale of Windows. Yeah. So what happens there at the at the in the virtual world, and maybe this is applies to OneDrive too. You know, there's a lot of magic that happens behind the scenes. You know, so if you're copying things around, you don't necessarily know when things are done. You don't necessarily know if it's there, if it's not there. When you have something that looks like a file, but then when you actually pull it up, it's like, oh, please wait while I download that. Uh, well, as far as like Git Virtual File Service, I think it, it just it shows in like a couple extra seconds to open a file for the first time. You actually go and right. pull it down. You're kind of pulling it on demand. Yeah. 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 As you need right. it, you're you're going to pull it. Otherwise, you know, from a file service perspective, it looks like you have everything there. Yeah, yeah. it does. You know, yeah. it's telling you it's taking up all this space. It's just opening right. slowly. Right. Yeah. So a little spinny ball at worst. Yep. In theory. <laughs> yep. I don't yep, exactly. remember what the Win 10, on, I, you know, it's, it, we know it's not a turning hourglass anymore. But does it, does it make a local copy of that? And then, you know, at a certain time behind the scenes, something comes along and syncs that uh, up? That's actually something I'm, I'm not too yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not on super familiar with it either. But I think it's when you do your fetch, right? It knows the things that you're working on, fetches yes. the right stuff. Right. But then right. if there's something else that you want, you have to kind of go ask for it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think that's how it goes. And then I imagine, you know, you, you check that in just like anything else. So, mm -hmm. that, But I can also see where the check-in process is actually easier because yeah. now you go through and say, well, here's all the files you never did download. Yes. So right. you don't have to worry about those. Yeah. These right. are the ones that actually arrived. Now I can worry about yeah. doing I only care about them. pushing these. Yeah, that yeah. I'd see if they're yeah. actually it's changed. very cool solution to a complex problem. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully one that most of us don't ever have to deal with, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of a scope of project. Do you guys know the dimensions of VSTS? How big, how many, like how large is the project now? Uh, actually, you hmm. might know that better than I would, Rogan, for size-wise. In size terms of total space? Yeah. Oh, I don't know offhand. I'm just trying to like, it, I know it takes up, uh, it, it's definitely nowhere near Windows. Nothing is. It, it's probably a couple gigs mm -hmm. when you go and pull it down. It's gotten dramatically bigger since when I started on it. Um, well, you guys are also incorporating a lot more product into it. Like, it's much more the project management tool. I, yeah. I, you know, going back to my flower reference, I was a project manager once upon a time and used TFS because it was a way to watch check-ins without interrupting the devs. Right. Like that, to me, was the biggest thing. And, it, you know, you could – every developer is a little bit different, but you could tell, you know, this guy's happy when I, when I see a check-in, two or three check-ins a day. This one's happy when it's a check-in at 4 o'clock. That's what his day looks like. He tends to check-in. Mm -hmm. And then there's no developer I know is happy that after three days of no check-in. Right? <laughs> the third day, it's like, do you really think you're going to get the greatest check-in known to man on the fourth day? <laughs> I'm betting no. And that's, you know, on that third day is when you sort of pop by and go, hey, how's it going? Wow, is that actually a keyboard imprint on your forehead? That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that happen exactly? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, uh, it's nice now as a, as, a, as a program manager, we have this feature on work items where developers, they can associate work items with these things. Right. So I can see when they've created a branch. Yeah. I can see when they're making commits. I can see when there's a pull request, when it's done, mm -hmm. when there's a build that's been running, or if it's done, and when it's been released. So mm -hmm. you have a sense of the flow of your team. Yeah. I mean, I can literally, like, half the time I don't even have to ask developers what they're doing. I can open up the work item and I can just see that. 
in that it's like a development portion of the on the work item mm-hmm, and I can just yeah. see it and I can go, okay, so he's branched. There's a couple commits there and there's a pull request and I can even glean the status of the pull request right. without actually opening it up, which is great because now I don't have to, you know, there's this big dividing wall between me and one of this developer I'm working a lot on right now and it's kind of like Tim the tool man with the, the neighbor fence <laughs> yeah, thing. Right, sure. I pop over and I'll be like, hey, how's it going? And I'll make sure <laughs> yeah. you can just see my eyes, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, you have to go ahead and share your screen. <laughs> that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> and but, the other nice thing that like, from what Rogan was talking about is like I can open up that feature you see all the things that get checked in then if yeah. you want to have a discussion about it you can do it right there in the work item itself yeah. nice and that'll send the you know the emails back and forth but it'll also allow you to have a discussion right mm-hmm. then and there so you don't have to deal with the emails but also asynchronously too so you're not interrupting exactly. yeah, it's not like you look at mm-hmm. someone and go uh oh and then right. want to go interrupt someone in the midst of their flow yep. the fact that you could add some notes and they'll notice it at some point yeah, yeah exactly well speaking of communication is microsoft teams uh, snuggle up to team services yeah yeah good mm-hmm. question that's what i'm working on these days that was um, really this coming yeah, yeah so well, there's a couple things that are there today right i can take a kanban board and shove it in basically in a tab in microsoft teams neat so i can go ahead and uh, open up a tab i can see the board of my team and what they're working on so i don't have to jump into team services if i didn't want to mm-hmm. yeah and then we also have the connector space where you can create these connectors of things that happen inside of vsts mm. so work items updated or pull request is created or somebody creates merges a branch or yeah. a release needs to be approval all those kinds of there's a bunch of those and you can set these connectors up, and when those happens, they'll send little cards back to a channel in Teams to say, hey, this happened. Nice. Right? And so you can keep track of that. Now, the thing that gets interesting in there is you set up a whole bunch of connectors. Guess what you see? A whole bunch of cards. Spew in there. It just becomes total yeah. spammy. So yeah. we're actually, one of the next sets of work that we're working on is that. Is like, hey, how can we distinguish the difference between a pull request one and, how, and a release? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. also, what could stack up on top of itself? Like, I like the right. that Kanban board you're putting in the tab. It's live, yeah. right? So, I, it's going to move around. Yeah. So, it's, it's very dashboardy. You'd almost yeah. want to take that, the flow of check-ins and pull requests and so forth and pull it into a dashboard. So, yeah. you know how many, you know how it's stacked. You can look deeper into it if you want, but you sort of get that glance of, yeah, we're, we're pumping along So, here. it's interesting you mentioned that. That's another thing that we're thinking about here, hopefully by the end of the year into early next year is you know how VSTS has dashboard capability we can throw widgets on there sure. we're going to allow you to put, potentially put that dashboard and shove it inside of Teams nice. right, that's right. a tab so now I can that yeah. can have a pull request widget on it of all your pull requests and that yeah. kind of stuff hmm. open up that tab and there you go that's all the things that are going on for your team and that dashboard on that tab inside of Microsoft Teams I know, it makes a lot of sense and it, it, again in I like that you're using the collaborative tools that you sell yeah. to collaborate with each other. Yep. It'll make the product better without a doubt. Yep. And uh, at the same time, give us examples of, you know, having success with it. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the challenge is just building it in a way that we, you know, people are going to want to use it. Sure. Thing, right. So we've been doing a lot of customer interactions and asking people what do they like and what do they don't like. And so, you know, we had a list of features that we're going to work on and see what happens. And if they don't like them, again, fail fast, right? Mm-hmm. We have to do a couple of them and we'll, we can pivot whenever we need to. You're also your own customer in a lot of respects. You guys are building software, so you probably have strong opinions about how you want to see stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. We definitely yeah. have strong opinions mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, we don't want the experience to stink, right? Yeah. First, make yourselves happy with it. Then, you know, circle out. I mean, I guess the only challenge there is you may, you may look at coding and your methodologies differently than... a substantial chunk of your customers. Sure, and that happens all the time. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. people are doing things different than us, right? And the way we do it doesn't mean it's right. It's just, you know, it's a way of doing it. Yeah. And so everyone does it differently, you know. And so, yeah, so it's finding that balance, yeah. right, of the, something that's going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, what's next? What's on your to-do list that we haven't talked about? Well, for me, MS Teams, Mm-hmm. We're doing some more of the integration piece that we just talked about. So that's on my to-do list. Next thing that I'm also working on is we're talking to like the, the team at MS Project and how do, how do traditional project users, how would they use Agile and how could that integrate with MS Project, that kind of okay. stuff. And so we're kind of having those some conversations to figure out what that might be. Those I haven't are probably seen the, Microsoft Project in years. What does it look like today? Same thing. Gantt Yeah, yeah. So they're a huge business. They have lots of people using it, lots oh, yeah. of users. You know, we had this notion that, you know, not everybody in the world is doing software development. It'd be great if we could use our stuff as well, like to do For agile sure. stuff. So we're just trying to figure some of that out of how teams actually use this and how they use it and how would it integrate with things like project. And mm. so that's one of the things that's on my list just to kind of go figure out tomorrow. I'm actually going to a big MS project conference thing that we're going to talk to those project people. And, wow. and I've seen project a lot in manufacturing. Yeah. Right. Right. I, th- I always thought the project was a tougher fit for software because the variability was so high. Well, it's mm. very, very waterfall. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. so, um, and I think the project team understands that and they're mm-hmm. like, well, we need to do something agile as well because yeah. we have 
everybody, not just software teams are going agile. Everybody's going with that. Sure. And so we're trying to figure that out. A VSTS bit. has all sorts of rest endpoints and things that we can use. And if we're doing our own kind of integrations with our own. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's lots of, lot of yeah. everything we do now has a rest endpoint. For yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. It's completely it's extensible as well. We have a marketplace where, you know, people go and put it out there. You know, there's even games. You can even get game wow. extensions. That's you cool. Can go download mine, Galactic Dodge. All right. <laughs> <laughs> myself plug. So awesome. what, what about you, Rogan? What's on your Uh so I have a couple list. things going on. I'm I'm clearly still working on that import service that I talked about, helping customers kind of, you know, move from TFS onto VSTS. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really the big push there is hey, I want to get these latest and greatest features every three weeks and I want to save myself the pain of having to manage my own hardware and yeah, upgrade right, it. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big portion of my life. I'm actually giving a talk on it here uh, in about an hour or so to a bunch of people to mm-hmm. get them excited about doing it. Uh, that and organizations. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but mm-hmm. basically we, you know, we get a lot of large enterprise customers that move on to VSTS and they might have teams in Europe, teams in Australia, teams in the US, and they might have individual VSTS accounts or want to go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question is, how do I kind of make that experience of like social coding and interacting with my teammates on like an enterprise scale amongst yeah. various different accounts? Yeah, yeah. Because you can kind of think of accounts like collections are in TFS and VSTS is how do we get these so they can all come together and be a seamless experience where someone could, you know, say land on an organizational homepage and figure out what work items they have assigned to them across all these accounts that they're working on or easily move between one and the other or even just discover, you know, what are other teams working on? Maybe we can leverage that in our project. New dictionary of collections. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. No, I my get the joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one got a bigger laugh than my actual joke. <laughs> well, guys, thanks. It's been great talking to you, Dan Hellam and Rogan Ferguson. It's always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a... Uh...